0: Hello there everyone, this is Lee Ashton from the very lively, lovely and wonderful London. And unfortunately, you're listening to Sasshole today.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. Welcome to Sassholes. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with their no BS approach and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm Analytics, Trent S, and Aaron J for their continued support. DemandFarm.com unlocks Key Account Growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making Key Account Management Practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to DemandFarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brett Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass on Winnalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the masterclass today at winnalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes. Okay, it's time for shoutouts. Mike Strong, starting a new gig as Village Administrator at Village of Lake Villa. Dale Madison, one year at Trampoline Design. Annie Lisenbergs, one year at High Spot. Calvin Brown, two years at United Energy Group Limited. Ben Rock, how you doing my friend? New gig, Account Executive at Fusion Risk Management. Tom Slocum, starting an additional position as Founder at the SD Lab. Congratulate Andrea Orozco, one year at Casillo. Danielle Rashid, one year at Forest Light Capital. Maria Castellucci, promoted to deputy editor at Modern Healthcare. Hey, Frank Holt, three years at... Phenom people read daily. Five years at Cone Resnick LLP. Frank Masternouzi shared about starting a new position as acting chief financial officer at Sanis. And then we have a happy birthday, Andy. Do another spin around the globe. Lee, talk to me about the importance of mindset on performance, trigger thoughts, comfort zone, reasons and excuses, and so forth.
0: Okay. Now, just to give you a bit of context, when I got into sales, I found it really, really easy. I didn't know why I found it easy. I just loved it. And then I got promoted to sales manager. And that's when my life changed. It took a real downturn. For the first time in sales, I felt like a failure. And I really struggled to help my team go beyond where they were. And in my quest to always be the best that I possibly can be, I went and studied and read. And, I mean, this was before the internet, Pete. So mm-hmm. it was Nightingale, Conan, if you remember them. Yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. the books. And, and and what I learned was that it was all to do with the way a person thinks you know whatever they think they become and that led me on a path this psychological path so what I know now all these years later because you know I, my first uh treading in the sales pond um was in the 80s so you know a real long time ago and and but psychology has erupted in the last decade so i you know i was teaching mindset just from my own perspective but now we know so much more and all the things that i knew to be true from observing people, actually has now been proven by scientists and neuroscientists and quantum physics and all of those different sciences that help us understand who we are as a human being. And the bottom line for me is if someone is happy, they will perform. And unfortunately, in the sales arena, we haven't quite mastered making our salespeople people happy some organizations have and some people are self-happiness generators i'll call these the top 10 percenters
1: yeah
0: but mostly it's about let's push the sales people let's and i'm going to be a bit harsh here let's whip them to an inch of their lives so that they bring the sales in and that this is the whole high performance culture that we have been in for decades and when it first we we've you know we first embarked on a high performance culture it was probably the right thing and we didn't know any different now high performance culture creates winners these are the top 10 percenters and everyone else feels like a loser and what people are starting to realize the more enlightened leaders and in, uh, and organizations are beginning to realize is that it's much more effective to have a learning stroke growth culture, which means that everyone can be a winner. So if you are at the early stage of your career, every marginal gain that you make along the way means that you're winning. You may not be performing to the level of someone who's been in the game 10 years but if you've been in the game six months you're never going to be able to perform to that level immediately without learning the ropes without developing yourself and so it's about how do you move people from where they are to the next chapter of their book if you like so that they feel like a winner. When people feel like they're winning, they will perform more effectively. They feel more fulfilled in their role, and that triggers much more positive thinking as opposed to, God, if I don't get my quota this month, there's going to be hell to pay.
1: Right. Psychology of sales, you know, this it's one big mind game because you have to, uh, if you're lucky, you're only dealing with 95% rejection, Um you know, you have your personal self and you have your external business self. And if you take everything personally, you're, you, you're going to wither and, and fall off the, you know, the vine. So it's you, you have to have good enough reasons why you want to do the job in order to put up with the, you know, the, the downside of it. Because the downside is nobody's punching you in the face. It feels like it. But, you know, mentally, how do you build up that wall? And is it goals? Uh, you know, if you're a single parent and you have to feed your kid, it's you're very motivated that, you know what? Okay, you told me no. Okay, great. I'll go on to the next one. You know, no no problem. But if, hey, you know, if somebody tells me no, eh, I'll just – I don't have any responsibilities. I'm living in my parents' basement, and I <laughs> – what is your suggestions yeah. to, to the people out there to to, uh, to build up their reasons why they need to do the job in order to put up with the rejection? Or what is your suggestion in dealing with rejection?
0: Well, you know, I love how you, you nailed that perfectly, Pete. You know, it, it really does come down to purpose. So... It's For some people, their purpose is, I want to be the best that I can be. I want to keep growing. For some, it's feeding their family. For some, it's promotion and career progression. And so I would say to every one of you out there, find out, dig deep what is your purpose? You know, why even get up in the morning? You know, what makes you do what, you, what you're what you doing? And honestly, there's no shame in deciding that sales isn't for you. If sales isn't for you, do what brings you joy. In my experience, sales is one of those professions that suits every kind of personality that has a purpose. So you can get a really successful introvert who's got a purpose, a very successful extrovert that has a purpose. You can get someone who's doing it for their family, someone who's doing it for themselves. Uh, That's the wonder of sales. But there's also other things that you can do. So first of all, find your purpose and then connect your purpose to the work that you're doing. So what are, what who do you need to be as a human being to deliver on that purpose? So who do you need to show up every day as? So that would be the first thing. Now, when it comes to resilience, that's a different thing. So resilience is one of the areas around growth mindset that, as researched, per um, Carol Dweck. So growth mindset, for me, is absolutely fundamental in human beings being able to navigate life in a way that is not painful. I'm not saying you're never going to have any pain in your life, but people that have a natural growth mindset see mistakes as just part of growing. They see mistakes as learning. They see the downtime as a a way of challenging them to get from wherever, whatever chapter they're at to the next chapter. So, like, you know when you were talking, I remember when I was in field sales in early in my career I'd go if someone said no I'd go next like as soon as I put the phone down or left the building I'd go next that was my that was my way and and also now this may resonate with people who have faith for me I've um uh Always, I think, well, they're obviously not destined for me. You know, God has other plans for me, <laughs> you know, right. but it doesn't have to be God. It can be the universe or the world has other plans for me. But I, you know, as a, a, a good Roman Catholic child growing up in a, like going to school in a a school that was run by nuns, you, you know, you just got that instilled into you. So resilience is there are three things that contribute to resilience. One is attitude to feedback. So you have to be able to take all feedback, not just great feedback, and see the most challenging of feedback as a gift because nobody will, who um, thinks highly of you Would you know they would give you feedback because they want you to be better, they would want you to do well. That doesn't mean they can deliver it all magnificently because someone who's really good at giving feedback um, feels really comfortable giving feedback, and then they'll give it to you in a way that you go, Oh, yeah, I hear that, and I know what action steps I need to take. But if they do give it to you in a maybe not so perfect way. Just have a bit of compassion for them because it's not easy to give challenging feedback and just see it as it, you know, it may be true, it might not be. You don't have to accept the feedback, but you have to graciously accept what they have said. You don't have to agree with it. But in that not agreeing with it, there could be a seed that you're missing out on. So the first thing to resilience is attitude feedback. The next is attitude to failure. Now, you and I both said, like, you know, next. (laughs) That's attitude to failure. It's just part of the game that we are in. And it's not just the game of sales. It's the game of life. Because no one on the planet has ever got every sale or everything that they've ever strived for. It just is impossible. It's an unrealistic expectation. And the... Final area of a personality that contributes to resilience is the desire to grow, to be a better version of yourself every single day. Reflect on your day and think what will I do differently tomorrow to be a better version of me.
1: Now, Lee, with with good salespeople out there, there's the they have to have a, an internal locus of control. They have to be objective thinking. Um, Whatever happened on the call, they were in control of it. It's their fault. It's their credit. And the question that I have for you is, can you teach that? Or do you have to hire that in? Because you have a successful uh, sales consulting business and you're bringing people on board. And if you... Bring on somebody that isn't motivated, or they fake the interview. They they act like they're motivated, but when they yeah. get in the job itself, then they're not. Uh, how do you can you can you motivate that unmotivated person? If so, I'd love to have your magic wand. What what do you think?
0: You can, but it's dependent on a number of factors, Pete. So you can motivate the unmotivated depending on why they are not motivated. So if it's maybe fear, then a good leader will be able to coach that person so that they are less afraid. Now, you talked about the area of control. And for me, we only have control of what we have control over. You can't control Others, other people, you can't control the situation. You can't make somebody sign that deal or get, you know, buy that product or service. You just can't do that. It's not in your area of control. So one of the things that I say to all is control the controllables and observe the uncontrollables because the uncontrollables are always shifting shape. But situation changes, things occur. And if you keep observing them over time, you become familiar with the pattern. So if you have a prospect that you can't get over the line, just keep observing the industry, observing what's happening in their organization, observing everything you can. And then something will change that will open the door a little bit that you then can go back in.
1: Hey, do you agree with uh, Aristotle? Uh, ethos, logos, pathos. Uh, you, when you say the uncontrollable, I, I like to think of it as a, a slot machine where you know cherry, cherry, cherries a, a yes. win. Okay, yeah. the first cherry is ethos. Are you likable? Can you know do people like you? Okay, the second cherry is logos. What is the logic? What is the reason for for your uh, presentation? What is your, you know, influence? And that third cherry is the uh, the pathos. The person on the other end of the phone, the person on the other end of the table. It's their mindset. You don't know what happened to them yesterday. Their wife left them. Their dog is sick. What? what you don't know. You can only control two out of those three things. And do you agree that if? People can look at sales as a numbers game objectively that if they can control two out of the three outcomes or 66 percent, that as long as they keep going, yeah. they have to get the, the numbers in in order to find out, you know, throw away the third and concentrate on, on, on the two thirds. What do you think about that? I
0: totally out? agree with that. And it is my experience that that is true. The people that succeed are the ones that do that they keep doing what they know they should be doing that leads to eventual success. It's like the difference between having good habits and bad habits. So even though it may not have achieved success this time, you know, it's a good habit and repetition leads to eventual success. Um, And you know, it's also true that if you sense that that other person that you're engaging with isn't in a great place or they're, you feel that, you know, you've called them at a bad time, then I always acknowledge that. I, You know, if I call somebody, for example, and I, and I can hear that they're a bit distracted, I'll say, I say, I've called you at a bad time, haven't I? And they go, Lee, I'm really sorry, you have. I say, look, no, no problem. You tell me when you want me to call you back. And I never suggest a time. I say, you tell me when you want me to call you back. And they go, can you call me at three o'clock this afternoon? Or can you call me at nine o'clock tomorrow? Or whatever they say. And I go, sure thing. Absolutely. But I'll make sure that I call them on the dot of the time they suggested. And that creates an inner contract with that person because they told you to call and so they are more likely then to and and the fact you kind of catch people unawares because a lot of salespeople if they get someone on the phone they're so happy to get that person on the phone they just keep driving the conversation even when they know in their guts that this person isn't really engaged or you know, It's much better to cut your losses at that point and then you get a brownie point. You get a gold star. It's like putting a credit in the bank. The more credits you put in that person's bank, the more likely they are to want to do business with you. If you're always extracting uh, these tokens, then they owe you nothing. You're not building a relationship. So I'm totally with you.
1: Uh you can't be selfish in sales. The buyers pick that up. They
0: they yeah. have
1: their they have their process down more than the sales reps do in most cases. Lee, what's one of the best sales team coaching questions ever?
0: Uh, well, when I was thinking about that, there are two that I love and I use more than any other. And the first one is what stops you? So when a salesperson or a sales leader is talking about what they should be doing, I say, what stops you? And then uh, you have to shut up and wait. Because as long as you've got rapport, that question causes the other person to go inside themselves and stand in a different position so they get a different perspective. Like, I can't, I've got time, they come up with all this stuff. And then, you know, you say, okay, so what really stops you? So that's the first one. But you must be really strong and not jump in when there's a a silence that's too long because it does take a bit of time for people to process. And the other one that I use loads is when somebody uh, asks me how they think they should do something or how, how I think they should do something. And I say, well, I've got some ideas, but what do you think? And that what do you think is such a great question. Normally they know and they go, well, I think I should do X, Y, and Z. It sounds like a great plan. Off you go. Let me know how you get on. (laughs) Now, if they are way off track, if you are in a position where you're coaching and they're way off track, all that means is they haven't considered something that is – really important so don't jump in and save their plan instead say oh now that sounds that sounds okay what would happen if and then you give them a scenario that they clearly haven't considered and they go oh yeah I hadn't thought of that normally and they go well if I did it this way that would deal with that you go yeah I think that sounds much better off you go let me know how you get on
1: then, Lee, what, what are your thoughts on scripts? Because sales reps, once they hear it, like, oh, no, don't tell me what to say. Because it's like a dance. <laughs> somebody yeah. leads. Somebody needs to follow. There's a routine. You can't dip till, you know, certain other steps are done. And people just getting into sales, they don't understand it. Uh, What are your thoughts on a script and instructing somebody as they first enter into your company before they make those first phone calls or site visits? What are your thoughts about scripts?
0: Um, I think a framework is much better than scripts. So what I do is for my own people and our clients is I'll get them to focus on what's the outcome of the call first of all so that they are heading in the right direction so sometimes people say the outcome of the call is to get a meeting well yeah but that's not the first outcome the first outcome is to get into rapport so that they want to listen to you so so it's, But it's different for each organisation and what they sell. But it's like, what are the stages of the outcomes that you want? Then I will share some of the things that people say. Uh, so if you're opening a call, we'll share, say, half a dozen ways of opening a call. And then I would say to the person, what's your one? You've heard like six different ways of opening the call. What one resonates with you most or what bits do you want to pull out? And then I get them to practice that first bit without even worrying about the next bit. Because often when they've got that first bit done, the rest of it flows. So it's like have the start, have the end and leave the middle to unfold as it unfolds because Actually, it's an area that you have no control over because the prospect or client is in control of that. You have to go with their flow.
1: Now, whether you use a script or an outline, bullets, whatever yeah. you want to call it, if the reps don't rehearse it, it yeah. really doesn't matter because they're just reading. The person on the other end, they pick up on that and It's like, oh, my goodness, why am I here? uh well how do you feel about role play
0: now i think role play is very very useful i also think it's very unnatural so i have a formula for role play that makes it very easy for both sides so say for example um I always say in role play the person with the most experience should play the salesperson first of all so that the newer less experienced person has a model to follow then they can swap over but I have this um uh, kind of angle really and it's this all right and this is what I mean is this is time out so if somebody during the role play and it could be the more experienced person say something as a result of what the less experienced person has said at pretending to be the customer or prospect and the the experienced person say something that's really important he can go he or she can go time out the reason i use that language in that way was because so the person who's learning goes, oh, it's not just a phrase that I should use all the time. I use it when this happens, or I use it when that happens, or you say it in a different way when that happens, and then that they can continue. And the salesperson, the less experienced person, when they're doing the role play, if they get tongue-tied or go, oh, no, don't know what to say. Instead of squirming, that go, time out. I'm really sorry. I don't know what to say right now. And the leader might say, well, that's fine because we haven't even covered that yet. So, so everyone feels a little bit less pressure cooker Every, and everyone feels that it's absolutely fine to do this because I think when you make people feel uncomfortable, you get the, not the best of them and you can actually diminish their confidence instead of building it.
1: Now, Lee, what's the difference between a high-performance culture and a growth-slash-learning culture?
0: So, it's... You know, what I touched on earlier in where we had everyone... Like, the high-performing culture is the top 10%. Now, this is... Especially for you, leaders listening in or watching, um, ten percent of a sales force is naturally growth mindset. These are the guys, and this includes leaders as well as all the different sales uh, professional roles. It's it's across the board. Ten percent are naturally growth mindset. They don't really need leading. They could have Donald Duck as their leader and they would still do well because they are self-driven. They've you know, they got that great attitude of failure, attitude of feedback that we talked about earlier and that desire to grow. And so these top 10%ers don't need anything really other than the occasional, yeah, well done, that's great, keep on doing what you do really amazingly well. Just stay out of their way and let them get on with it. Then you've got the 10% at the bottom who have checked out, decided they're in the wrong job or the wrong company, or for whatever reason, they've lost their heart in their role. And so these are the guys that lots of sales leaders try to help and turn around. And actually, it's impossible to do that. They have to decide that they want to stay and commit to their own growth and success. But the 80% in the middle are the ones that really want to do well. They can see the top performers. They want to be like them, but they haven't got the growth mindset or the resilience to pick themselves up after uh, maybe not getting a deal or not getting the meeting. They, they And they are the ones that need a really great leader to hold their hand, nudge them out of their comfort zone and then know, that, you know, so that person knows that that leader has their back and if they make a mistake, it's okay because it's all part of learning. So the 10 10 is like the leader should concentrate on the 80%ers in their team because that's where the biggest wins are and these are the people that really want their support and these are the people that really want to grow. In a high-performing culture, which most organisations, sales organisations are, the 10% at the top are the winners and everyone else is an underperformer, even if they're there or thereabouts. Because some of those 80%ers will be getting their quota, will be getting their target, but they are seen like, we want a team of A players, which actually is an impossible dream. It's an unrealistic expectation. You can get everyone playing 100% of wherever they are on their journey, but you can't get a team of top 10%ers. They're what you would call the elite, right? And um, So high performance is you've got the top performers and everyone else is not. They're underperforming. They're not as good at. Whereas in a learning and growth culture, someone uh, who has only been in the company a month but they are making more calls, getting more engagement, is still a winner, and they're celebrated as a winner. A learning uh, stroke growth culture is where the marginal gains are celebrated. That's the difference. And then everyone's a winner, and you'll get, in those organisations, you'll get less attrition, you'll get Higher performance, so they now know that learning growth culture gets higher performance than a higher performance culture because the higher performance culture beats people up with a stick or gives the person the stick to beat themselves up.
1: Lee, what do you think the biggest differences are between USA salespeople and the UK salespeople, the styles? is Are there any
0: well, there are some. There are some. I think, in terms of delivery of style, I think that the US is much more driven towards outcomes. Okay. And just culturally as an organization, because that's the you know, that's the very foundations that the US was built on. You know, all these people came from all the corners of the world, and they they were the brave, you know, these would have been the top ten percenters of the nations where they came from, you know. They were courageous, they really were striving for a better life. So it's no surprise that the US has this really go for it culture, because your ancestors are those kind of people, right? Whereas the Brits are much more, let's make sure nothing bad happens. (laughs) So they're much more driven by fear and let's solve these problems or let's stop these problems happening. Now, having said that, whilst the, the US culture and the British culture are quite, are different in that way, what I have observed, because I've trained both in both arenas, is that mindset is exactly the same. So in the US, the fear doesn't come from, like in the UK, the fear comes from not screwing up. In the US, the fear comes from not being seen as a winner. So, the fear is still there. Mm-hmm. Those beliefs are still there, but the context may be slightly different. So, whenever I've trained in the US, there's much more rah, rah, come on, let's do it. Um, and there's less of that in the UK, but deep inside the person's soul, they are still a human being. That's right. So, they have the same fears, just a different context.
1: We. Talk to me about the comfort zone. How do you get there? What is it?
0: So, the comfort zone is a place where we are most comfortable and it has it's really gets a bit of bad press the comfort zone. Yes, you can't grow without going outside the comfort zone. But the comfort zone is also where all your expertise is. You know, everything you're really great at and good at and love to do is in your comfort zone. And so rather than thinking about the comfort zone as something that you need to get out of, think of the comfort zone as a springboard of all your expertise to give you the confidence to spring out of it. There's something really important about the comfort zone. You know, it's it's clearly growth is not new growth is not going to happen if you're in it. So if you're doing something and it's not working, then you know you're in your comfort zone. So that's the first thing. But something interesting happens to every human being when they get to the edge of their comfort zone. And that is it triggers your stress response, your limbic system. And Most people are just about to do something new. They feel that anxiety come up, and they perceive it as a failing in themselves. And instead, it's your body working one hundred percent perfectly because that's what your body has been designed to do ever since man and women walked on this planet. When you are about to do something new, your limbic system goes whoa. It's your red flag to have all your senses on red alert. So there's nothing wrong with you. So quietly, not out loud, say to your limbic system, it's okay. I've got this. I've got all my senses on full alert. I know I'm just about to go into uncharted territory. Thank you for nudging me. Now, one of the things that causes the limbic system to spring into action is a drop in oxygen. Because guess what? When we're about to do something new, we hold our breath. Or we, if we see a hurdle, we kind of go. And that drop in oxygen tells the limbic system that something is not quite right. So it springs into action. So if you start to feel that anxiety, take two really deep breaths. And then say, it's okay, I've got this. And then the limbic system kind of goes back, but it doesn't go right back. It's like waiting in the wings. So make sure that you tread carefully. You listen to what your prospects or clients say. You know, you because like, a lot of people ask questions and then they don't listen or they talk over people. That's not having your, se- your listening sense on full alert. So listen, because you will hear information make sure that your body is open to receive information like if your heart and gut are feel a little bit then that means that yes yeah, there's something not quite right and you maybe need to ask another question. but if your limbic system does flee, it renders you resourceful your resourcefulness out. So so because what happens when your limbic system, your stress response really kicks in, it sends all of your blood to your arms and legs and it, it takes it away from your brain and other vital organs because when you're in fight or flight, you need as much strength in your arms and legs either to run or to fight as possible. It's a biological occurrence. You cannot control it. And so that's why... When you are in a situation and a customer asks you a really awkward question and your limbic system comes up, you think, oh, no, I don't know what to say. And you get tongue tied and you fumble and this whole nonsense comes out of your mouth and you want to drag it back in, but you can't. You leave that situation and 20 minutes later, you go, well, why didn't I say this? I could have said that. I know this what happened? It's because it takes the limbic system 20 minutes to subside and know that it's safe. So it's crucially important that you love your limbic system, that you understand your limbic system. Your limbic system is not there to trip you up. It is there to keep you safe. So keep breathing, keep your senses on full alert and all will be well.
1: Well, anxiety is fear of the unknown and loss of control. So if you, if you haven't rehearsed, you haven't trained, you haven't done what your boss has told you to do in sales, you have every reason to have your limbic system go crazy. You know, you you talked about the comfort zone with some people, they like where they're at at a certain sales position. They don't want to take a promotion. You know, this, whoever's listening or watching out there, you, if, If you don't feel like you're worth the the amount of money that you're about to receive for the exchange of work (laughs) that you're about to do, you better start thinking a different way. Because some people say, you know what, oh, I'm worth 90, let's say 90 pounds or 90,000 pounds a year. Okay, see I said pounds. Yeah, that's that's what impressed. I'm worth, and and that's my goal. And once I hit that, I'm going to take the foot off the gas. I'm not going to make any more. now. for whatever the reason, they feel guilty. Their parents never made that much money or whatnot. It's it, it it it. They have to get over that, and then also, Lee, don't they have to get over think? They got to stop thinking with their wallet or pocketbook. They have to think about their client's wallet or pocketbook because what's a lot to you is not a lot to them. The va- if they don't understand the value that you're providing to to the client they, they've lost control it seems like a m- lot of money why am i doing this you know what i'll just stay in my comfort zone and i'm going to make i i know how to talk to these people i don't know how to talk to those people is that right
0: yeah that is spot on now you only have to look to nature to get some kind of bearing on this you know if you Look in a garden or in any kind of natural space and look at what happens in the seasons. Things are either growing or they're dying. If you stay in your company, you, you don't need to have promotion at all. If you want to stay at the level you're at, then there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you need to keep growing within that level, not for promotion, but for your own well-being. Because if you are not growing, you become stagnant and you start to die. So I know that sounds really melodramatic. But it's true. It's like that's why so many people die within a few short months of um, retiring. You have to keep like my mum's 87 and she says, I've got to keep moving because my mum told me keep moving or you die.
1: (laughs) (laughs) true.
0: So but you honestly look at nature. Do not become stagnant because. You may think, oh, this is an easy ride. I'm not going to put too much effort in. And you might think that's fine. And you might be getting your quota. But let me tell you, soon boredom sets in. And when boredom sets in, You become dissatisfied with your life. You start, your self esteem starts to dwindle. You cannot feel fulfilled if you are stagnant. So, fine, you don't want promotion, nothing wrong with that. But keep asking yourself, where are the areas that I can grow? So, say, for example, you're really good at X, Y, and Z behaviors in sales where are your areas of weakness where you think I'm not so great at that I'm going to work on that for a while and see if I can like get that more successful you know one of the questions I ask in some of my programs is what's your outcome when you start work every day and people some people share really mundane goals for the day and you know, they'll share a goal with me. And I say, are you doing that already? And they go, yes. And I said, well, then you need a bigger goal. And they go, I wonder if that's why I'm bored. You know, it's the most incredible thing. So you have to keep growing or you will dwindle.
1: Lee, what's the best way for our viewers and listeners to learn more about your business? What is the name of your business? We haven't even talked about that. (laughs)
0: Okay, it's the sales consultancy. And the best way to reach out to me is to either go to our website, sales consultancy.com, and LinkedIn, because I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I really love that whole interaction on LinkedIn. You can message me there, you can reach out to me via the website. So that would be the best way. And I've got a couple of books that you'll find on Amazon. The first is I Sell and that's for salespeople and business owners and the second is grow your people grow your sales and that is specifically for sales leaders both books are about mindset in the sales arena
1: lee thank you so much for uh coming on to sales today
0: oh it's been my absolute pleasure thank you for having me
1: our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm Analytics, Trent S., and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brett Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at winolytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the masterclass today at winnalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes.